A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Sign up for the Confessions of a Marketer newsletter at confessionsofamarketer.com slash newsletter. On episode 43 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're talking about the future of marketing. We have Jeremy Goldman, host of the Future Proof podcast, in to talk about the future of marketing. We'll get to that chat in just a moment. Coming up, we have Super Union's Chief Creative Officer, Greg Quinton, joining us to discuss great design and more. And soon, we'll also be joined by Beth Monahan of Ink House to discuss fear and the future of PR. Lots more in the works here on the pod, so stay tuned. And as I've told you before, I've got a new podcast I've been cooking up with influencer and investor Garnett Harriman, The Innovation Podcast. We've got a couple of new episodes available with interviews from Garnett's trip to CES. And we're also just about to launch a couple of episodes on experiential marketing. You can subscribe pretty much everywhere you get podcasts and listen at theinnovationpodcast.co. On to Jeremy Goldman. Jeremy does a lot of thinking about the future of marketing. We talk in this episode about how data is disrupting marketing, how marketers can future-proof their careers and marketing approaches, and what 2019 holds for we marketers. Hope you enjoy the chat. Let's get to it. Jeremy Goldman, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. Thank you so much. You do a lot of thinking about the future of marketing, which is why I've got you here. What do you think the future holds for we intrepid marketers? You know, I think one of the things that's interesting about trying to forecast the future of marketing and, you know, I continually study this is we're at this really interesting inflection point where a lot of things are changing, a lot of things are up in the air. And one key thing that I think is going to be relevant to all of us marketers over the next few years is the idea of test and learn. 
the idea mm-hmm. that you need to go out and try new things and figure out what's going to work and essentially have a balanced portfolio between the things that are tried and true that might not be sexy but have continued to perform for you and then the things that they may or may not take hold for your particular industry but at least you've got to be experimenting in those particular areas in case uh, those areas wind up becoming commonplace. And, you know, perfect example would be virtual reality, augmented reality, machine learning, drones. These are all things that, depending on your industry, might start to become very relevant very quickly. Yeah, we've talked about all of that previously. And it's it's something that, you know, initially when you hear about that kind of technology, you think, oh, that's interesting. And I didn't initially think that it could be a big part of marketing, but that it would be a big part of movies and TV and so forth. But it looks like it's going to be part of mainstream marketing fairly soon. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's fascinating is if you study the history of marketing, one thing that you'll see is that new things show up, new technologies, and people uh, sometimes try to use things for marketing that wind up being used, like you said, for other industries and for other functions far more than marketing. And then the opposite is true. Sometimes things show up and then they wind up getting co-opted by marketers. You know, SMS notifications is a perfect example. It was something that was essentially around for years before marketers ever said, hey, let's try to do something here. Yeah, yeah. And especially in the U.S., the U.S. was kind of late to texting and suddenly it kind of took America by storm. Oh, very much so. Absolutely. So how about data science? I know you do a lot of work in in data science, and we've talked to quite a lot of people on the podcast about data, you know, CMOs, marketers, people in the agency world. How do you think the data will transform marketing? So I think one thing that's interesting is that we have had data in marketing forever. We just haven't had nearly as much as we have now. And I think that there's going to be a shift towards actually making the most of particular data points and not obsessing over collecting as much data as possible. Because nobody really talks about the negative associated with getting too much data, which is now all of a sudden... Uh, you wind up uh, becoming a hoarder and you start to say, oh, I've got to analyze everything. And I think, you know, probably you found this too, that there are a few key data points that are far more important than everything else. So the trick needs to be, we need to move, we've essentially solved the whole entire problem of uh, warehousing and collecting all this information. Now we need to focus on the analysis and finding interesting observations that are far beneath the surface. That's really where the future of data and marketing is going to be, is in the analysis and figuring out the unexpected observations that you wouldn't be able to come and derive years ago simply because you didn't have all the data at your fingertips. Right. I'm old enough to remember web trends and uh, you'd have maybe a meeting once a month with the guy who knew how to use web trends and he'd output it into a spreadsheet or into a PowerPoint deck and you'd go through the, the data about the website. And now it's at everyone's fingertips, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they know what the data means or how to use it. 
Yeah, I think that that's uh, very true. Uh, more often than not, I mean, the, the companies that I have both dealt with uh, and consulted with over the last few years, as well as a lot of the companies that I've analyzed and spoken to for some of my reporting, I mean, one thing that you really find is that people are just obsessing about collecting data and they are sometimes not even taking five steps back and saying, well, what are we trying to do? In the first place, you know, you you tend to get a little bit too close to the business, and that's why I like consulting because I've had the ability to look a few steps away from the business and say, what are the observations that we're really trying to uh, accomplish and observe at the end of the day? Yeah, well, so I think you know a lot of people look at data as just numbers, but you know I'm a writer and I see something more in those numbers. And I think it can be the basis for any good marketing. Do you think data is good marketing? Data can make stories? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of actually really interesting examples of data and observations being turned into content in so many different ways. And one of the things that I think is great for brands is to be looking at what are the interesting things you can pull out of your data in order to become a thought leader. Because essentially, the more time you spend pouring over your own data, you're going to become smarter. And the key thing is, in the age that we're in now, is you basically share your expertise in order to gain credibility. So if you have a lot of data that you're sitting on that you've got the ability to anonymize, I think that that's one of the things that's really valuable because that can turn into thought leadership content on your blog. It can turn into infographics. It can turn into speaking points that your PR agency or your head of PR can then uh, pitch you to the press. So there are all these different interesting things that you can do that establish credibility. And essentially, if you're going to study for the test, and I look at going over your data as kind of studying for a test, then why don't you actually get the credibility by turning that uh, studying into content? Yeah. How about the sensitivity of data? You know, with GDPR and other legislation also on the horizon. You know, we've talked on the podcast with a number of experts about, you know, how important it is to treat the data not only according to the laws and regulations that are out there, but just treat it ethically. And, and there's, there's a bit of a conflict there, some people think, between being able to use the data and what the rights of the, the user are. How, how, does, how do good marketers handle that? Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing, this might be a contrary opinion or at least a less popular one, but you really have to look at what the trends are over time in terms of, you know, and you mentioned ethics. So ethics change over time in terms of what we consider to be right versus what somebody will 50 years from now. Now, I'm somebody who saw a minority report and (laughs) I wasn't probably, I probably wasn't as scared as a lot of people because I just look at that and I say, oh, there's a lot of cool stuff there too. Of course, things like that can be used for evil as well. But, and this is where I feel feel like it's helpful for me to talk to younger people, to talk to my own little kids and observe them, is Mm -hmm. you get to realize the fact that our perceptions around technology are not set in stone and they're going to change over time. So essentially where I'm going with this is your opinions towards privacy and my opinion 
towards privacy, that that, that was a, a relic of the world that I grew up in, you know, pre-internet, yeah. and my perception yeah. of how much privacy should people have. Now, uh, is the next generation going to have a different perception towards privacy? Absolutely. And I think that people will continually give up their information in exchange for some type of value. And as long as there's some value being generated or being delivered in exchange for giving up that privacy, uh, I think people will actually get to be more and more comfortable with it over time. Yeah, and I mean, this this discussion, this argument, if you will, about privacy isn't anything new. It's, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I think the guy who ran Sun... Uh, microsystems, Scott McNeely said something to the effect that, you know, privacy is dead or, you know, if you expect privacy, you're not going to get it. So it's, it's not as though it's new. It's just become kind of more of a headline item. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, you're right about that. And, you know, GDPR definitely pushed it to the headlines. And it's essentially something that uh, customers, what I do agree with, and this is a mainstream opinion, is that customers more and more are going to see that there's some type of value in yeah. their own personal information. Uh, I think people will also understand that you don't want to be exposed to the world as a single user. But uh, this is my belief that people in the aggregate will be more and more comfortable. And and frankly, this has happened already. You open up your new Apple computer and you need to agree to 9,000 pages worth <laughs> of uh, you know end-user license agreements and you just click OK. So uh, the understanding is that if you are an uh, anonymized piece of data, that's something that people are more okay with as opposed to when it sounds like Facebook is giving Spotify and Netflix the ability to actually read your own private messages. That's where it gets a little bit creepy because you're no longer feeling like you're an anonymized piece of data, but you're a singular you know, entity and that's where it gets dicey. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalit.org today. At the same time, these big companies like Facebook say that they can't do certain things because it takes too much time or there's just too many, too much data out there. And then on the other side of the coin, they're letting uh, Netflix read your private messages. It just seems like uh, one can't be true if the other one isn't, you know? Mm, yeah, that's interesting. I think that Facebook also is, uh, in particular, had an issue with governance in this area. So yeah. it, 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 part of its governance, part of it is really just PR and controlling the message. So if you're going to screw up, then admit your fault and don't kind of have 18 different admissions that trickle out over time. But, you know, when, when we talk about data and privacy and you look at recent big hacks such as, you know, Marriott was a big one, Warby Parker was a big one somewhat recently from the time we're talking. I think when you look at all of those, you have to kind of look at it in the sense of uh, the way that uh, the British were bombed during uh, World War Two, where you just kind of get used to it, and it's a yeah. th it's a cost of doing business. If if a major hack happens every day, then no major hacks happen ever because we just get used to it, and it's not something that you know the customer freaks out about. It's more of the new normal. Yeah, well, that's a good point. That defenses will only get you so far, and I've worked in the security space, and it's not a question of if; it's a question of when. And 
it's going to happen. So you kind of have to prepare. You have to have a plan in place as a company to deal with it and deal with it honestly, because it's impossible to prevent. You can, you can kind of put up, uh, you know, firewalls and, and other defenses, but eventually someone is going to figure out a way to get in. And sometimes that's from within the company, but a company needs to deal with that honestly with its customers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing, and I forgot who said it originally, but it's not the crime, it's the cover up. Uh, yeah. So companies screw up all the time. And there are plenty of companies who they, they get through it gracefully because they admit fault and then they move on. And then there are some uh, situations where even a company screws up in a way, but solves the problem in a manner that actually gets them more credibility as opposed to less. And it's always interesting to see when that happens. It gets less coverage, so it's harder to find. But I think that there are examples out there of companies that handle these missteps properly. And when you do that and you gain credibility, that's great because your uh, competitor is going to screw up and they'll probably have a cover-up and they'll probably not want to admit when they've been hacked or when they've been using data in a somewhat suspicious, shady manner. So so right. the truth is, is that all companies have to embrace transparency because, simply because it's a good business practice. Yep, yep. Okay, let's get back to the future. Knowing that nothing in the future is assured, how can a marketer future-proof their marketing approaches and maybe their career too? Yeah, well, the, I, I think that you know, one of, the, one of the key things that I would say about future-proofing is it's like fireproofing. You fireproof your home. That doesn't mean that something cannot happen, but it mm -hmm. means that you're doing everything possible in order to protect yourself. So one of the top things that I always advise people to do with respect to protecting themselves is understanding what are the barriers towards any new marketing technology, what's going to become commonplace and what's not going to, what works in one industry and what won't work in another. So you take drones as a perfect example. That's something that if you have an e-commerce related business or if you have a uh, surveying and mapping business, that might be something that's very relevant. And then for other functions and other industries, it would be entirely irrelevant. That's one of the key things is to actually assess the feasibility and the likelihood that something is going to become commonplace and important in your industry. The other key thing is to look to see what are the barriers towards something going mainstream. So for instance, you could say, and I've worked in the autonomous uh, vehicle space, so you could say that autonomous vehicles are, they've got the ability to go mainstream tomorrow. The technology is already there. And then you can develop a whole entire marketing strategy over incorporating that technology, you know, let's say for 2020. And the challenge there is there are, is a lot of regulation. And mm -hmm. regulation is going to be the reason why that doesn't become commonplace. So you have to look at other barriers towards something hitting it big. Now, if there's a new type of technology, let's just call it X, okay? And I believe X is going to become commonplace in 2022. And I have a rationale for believing that. Then maybe I want to time things if I'm you know, in the same company for a while. Maybe I want to start working on something with technology X in 2021, kind of a test and learn, or at least an opportunity to get ahead of the market. So the mm -hmm. trick is really is ultimately it's all about market timing for any one particular thing that you're investing in. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a new technology. Sometimes it can be as simple as a new ad platform or a new ad vehicle. Uh, let's say if Facebook is launching a new format, 
you know, you might want to get in on that and actually get some learnings and try to figure out, is this the next big thing? Or is this something that's not going to have a high ROI for you? So really, you know, you can't really future-proof yourself unless you take that diversified portfolio approach and start to think critically about what will work in the future and when it's going to hit big. So let's think about the immediate future. What do you see happening in 2019 that will affect marketers and marketing? What are the things you're you're kind of monitoring here at the beginning of the year? So two of the things that I think I'm monitoring very closely is augmented reality and how augmented reality uh, e-commerce, you know, on largely on mobile, but to some extent on desktop is going to become more commonplace. That's something that uh, smart retailers and smart e-commerce players are investing in heavily. And you're going to start to see, to me, what's interesting about AR is you're going to be able to see the uplift because it's something that adds demonstrable value and increases the odds of a conversion. So any uh, company where augmented reality could be applicable towards the bottom line, it's something that uh, you know I'm hearing a lot of people have invested in it, in it for this year. It's certainly worth uh, paying a lot of attention to. Yeah. And then I think the, one of the other key things is this is something that I think people have been talking about for years, but more of an omni-channel approach towards marketing. And more and more marketers are looking at their databases and saying, well, some of these customers will never convert to a retail location, but they will convert uh, online and vice versa. So people are getting different messages and being sent through different funnels. And marketing automation technology has grown so much over the last few years, uh, which means more and more people are at least uh, they're scratching the surface of their marketing technology, which I think is fantastic. The more people who are using marketing automation means that they're able to hopefully get more relevant messages in front of their uh, consumers on an ongoing basis. Yeah, technology is a part of everyone in marketing. It's a part of their life every day. I use it, you use it, and people are used to kind of be removed from technology because maybe they didn't work on the website or something like that. Now use it on a regular basis in marketing. It's It's been quite a transition over the last 20 years. Oh, I mean, one of the things that I think is very fascinating, by the way, is that more and more what you're seeing is you're uh, seeing these digital first marketers that are then taking over kind of the quote-unquote general marketing functions in major organizations. Uh, the people who have the digital marketing acumen for omni-channel companies, they're basically taking over CMO roles, which to me implies uh, that you've got basically this understanding that the digital person can learn the non-digital stuff better than the non-digital executive can all of a sudden become a digital superstar. Yeah, so maybe the word for 2019 is digital. <laughs> the word digital almost becomes the word like expert or ninja right. in the sense that if everybody has to have that word in their resume, then it almost becomes this great equalizer and nobody has that word in their resume. Yeah, but, you know, I still read about companies that are doing digital transformations and I'm thinking to myself, well, come on, it's it's 20 years ago that this stuff started and you're still telling your shareholders you're doing that? It seems kind of ridiculous to me. 
You're totally right. But at the same time, I mean, this is the world that we live in where we have a lot of people who get up and I'm sure you've seen this too. People who are speaking at major conferences saying, look at all the great stuff that we've done. And the reality (laughs) is they haven't necessarily done most of that stuff or they've just done something in a small pilot. And these large companies move very slowly. And part of why Mm -hmm. they move very slowly is because they're looking at their three big monolithic competitors who move slowly as well. And they're not looking at the small players who are moving in a very nimble, agile fashion. So uh, that's really what you have to watch out uh, for is the fact that there are these companies that don't have to undergo the digital transformation because they're digital native. And you know, ultimately, that's where I see the challenge for the large multinationals is can they f- find a way to move a lot quicker and not look at their, you know, really slow gargantuan competitors? Can they look at the little guy and say, that's the guy that we have to compete with? Well, this has been great, Jeremy. Thanks for joining me. It's It's been a fascinating discussion thinking about the future, thinking about data and looking into the future with you. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks to Jeremy for being here. Next time, Super Union's Greg Quinton on great design. So stay tuned. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.